electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi there, I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. Today on Squawk Pod, retail's beauty mark, inflation, inventory, and looking good with CEO of cosmetic retailer Ulta, David Kimball. The strength of the category will continue. There will be innovation, there will be new ways. There always have been through the history of of beauty and people expressing themselves to the world. Uh, Ulta has continued to evolve. Why consumers are willing to shell out to look good. But it's, it's worth it, believe me, for all of us. And it's been a rough year for streamers like Netflix. We're getting the lay of the media land with CEO of AMC, Matt Blank. I think the the belief that there was unlimited growth in these spaces was just unrealistic. Those stories plus vaccine successes and a milestone on a Coloradan field. I think that Melody becomes the first black minority owner of an NFL team. It's Wednesday, June 8th, 2022, and Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, kill three. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. I was thinking about about Novavax because it's not an, a mess. It's not an mRNA. And then it just got me thinking about it really works that you put in a strip of messenger RNA and it gets translated into something that you generate an immune response from. I mean, it is amazing where we are. Right? And every vial worked. Every vial that Moderna and Pfizer made worked. I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's, really, it's really incredibly awesome. And uh, Novavax, uh, these shirts. But do you see now, they, uh, I see the commercials now for getting the vaccine. It will make when you get COVID much less bad than it would have been. So no one ever, no one says it's a vac- you know, it's like a classic vaccine anymore. No they don't say that you won't get it. Yeah, yeah, no one says it just says it'll. But Novavax is interesting because it's not it mRNA. It's not mRNA. There's, there's, a, there's a market for it. And a panel of outside advisors to the FDA, as they always do, endorse the company's COVID vaccine, voting 21 zip, 21 to zero, that the shots benefit uh, outweighs its risks. It could uh, still be a while, though, before the shots become available. The FDA could take weeks to review the application, must also sign off on the company's latest manufacturing process. Shot's also going to need CDC approval. Advisors uh, said that the protein-based Novavax vaccine had comparable performance to the mRNA uh, vaccines that are already authorized. What's interesting about this is people who maybe are afraid of the mRNA shots, they think that this could be a good market for them. And there are people who are allergic to some of the components in the mRNA shots, so this would be a good alternative for them as well. What goes in, you can't just put messenger RNA in. You need a lipid vesicle. You need a way to get it to where it's going to be uh, translated, is the, the word for it, into the, the gene product that messenger RNA code for. But, but um, and that is some of the stuff you're talking about. But there are people that, conspiracy theorists, that think it's genetic engineering or that it's gene therapy. And it's not, reverse transcriptase would have to be there to, to turn the message back into the DNA for that to go into your genome, which is this possible is but unlikely. Protein-based. I mean, is this like where they're doing it out of eggs and things again? 
Um, it's a low bar, though, Andrew. It's a low bar. Um, <laughs> it's a low, for me, it's, it's like this. It's a, I, you know, no, you had some I'm, biology. You know DNA, RNA, protein, right? I, I know, DNA, I know. So RNA doesn't usually go to DNA except for RNA. That's the guy who, one of my professors, won a Nobel Prize for, for uh, discovering reverse transcriptase, which takes messenger RNA back to DNA, and, and messenger. And Walter Isaac wrote the book on what David been Baltimore doing with the mRNA yeah. and stuff with it, and why it's so impressive right now, why they were able to, to turn this up in such a big way. Um, but it, it does bring a lot of hope for. I, I, I mean, I'm looking at some other science. There's a lot that's going to come out of this. The, what we just went through with COVID and the development we did out of this brings a lot of hope and a lot of promise for people who are dealing with all kinds of other diseases. A group led by. A billionaire Walmart uh, heir, Rob Walton, has agreed to purchase the Denver Broncos for $4.65 billion. Um, the ownership group includes several members of the Walton family and Starbucks uh, chairwoman Melody Hobson, a major player in her own right, but the force might also be with her to some extent. Um, that's who she's married to. The deal is now subject to review by the NFL's Finance Committee and then must be approved by NFL owners. It would be the first time for sale of an NFL team since billionaire David Tepper got richer, as usual, buying the Carolina Panthers for $2.3 billion. So his uh, internal rate return, probably somewhere around 25%. Uh, everything that guy touches, it seems like. Go Melody. Yeah, go Melody. But, but uh, Rob Walton, I guess, and he's not related to the Waltons. Obviously, John Boyd. But so they said. So they said. So what do you? How much is it? He's related to the Walton. Well, the, not the John Boy Waltons, the TV show. Yeah, the the more. Well, I know he's related to the. Thank you. I know he's. I, I anyway, you that when they said when they when they said, uh, all right, you want to buy this team, right? He goes, well, he goes, what do you say? Three point six billion, and he started writing the check. They go, no, four point six. He goes, okay, all right, four point six. Let me just, and that's about how long it took him. To think about it, don't you think? Probably. I think the Denver Broncos is a really cool. I mean, I you, you get to be out in the Mile High City and and uh, a lot of history, Elway and, and and yeah, and everything else. It's pretty cool. Uh, I would that'd be a team I'd like to. I like the colors. Go Melody. I, like I didn't the, know she was part of it. That's great. You've been to the no, uh, it's great. Denver Air, Air, the Melody News is great. Stallion at the airport in Denver. Interestingly, I I think that Melody becomes uh, the first uh, black owner, minority owner does. of an NFL team. And, you know, the NFL had been talking about trying to, I mean, they had actually been courting all sorts of uh, different people trying, trying to do this. So it's actually quite, a, to see it. quite an important first step. A firm CEO says that he is not worried about Apple's new venture into the buy now, pay later space. In an interview with Bloomberg, Max Levchin says that his company offers more extensive and longer term plans compared to Apple's version of that service. Levchin said that there's plenty of room for growth for all of the players involved. Apple unveiled its pay later feature at its annual developers conference on Monday. Unlike similar services, Apple's will be integrated directly into the wallet app on its iPhone. And, and guys, I love that. We welcome the competition type of thing. That's what you say because it sounds a heck of a lot better. Like, oh, my gosh, we have to compete with them. Right. Um, well, expands the market, uh, the marketplace. It does. But. Anytime you're looking at that, it means your addressable market just got smaller because you have to share it, and you have to share it with a really big player. Um, the stock, I think a firm stock, was down something like 5.5% mm -hmm. on the day of the news on Monday. I'm not sure what the stock did yesterday. You take a look it, at it. it the, one, the one thing that may be helpful, actually, to a firm and Max is the way they've built in the, the buy now, pay later feature into retailers' 
uh, that is checkout smart. process yeah. is going to effectively be different than the Apple. You will effectively have to press Apple Pay first and then make the, the decision on the payment, my understanding is. Although, Whereas, what would stop Apple from trying to do the same thing with some of those retailers? Is a firm kind of locked in where nobody can compete nothing, with them? Nothing. It's just, it's, just it's, a, it's a different flow in terms of how they've sort of structured it as of now. Could Apple change that flow? I'm sure they probably could. But I, I mean, it's it's like when you pay with Amazon versus deciding to pay with Apple Pay. It's just a, it's just a different flow process, and they've done a nice job with the with the with the customer checkout process thus far on a firm in terms of how that flow works. And by the way, that is a, a pretty important aspect to it because you know I've got PayPal, I've got Apple Pay, I've got Amazon Pay, and whoever's got the button that's going to populate the screen for me so I don't have to type anything in. That's where I'm going. You know the the the, the the stress-free, friction-free way of doing it. I just don't know why Apple couldn't make some of those same deals themselves. But, you know, I wouldn't bet against Mac Levchin. Max Levchin, he is so smart and has been so good at so many things, PayPal and beyond. Um, it's just, it, this Apple's a new entrant, and when it gets into a field, it's the same thing as seeing Amazon get into a field. Uh, you have to probably look at that and say, we welcome the competition, sort of, kind of. Next on Squawk Pod, what do Lady Gaga, Kylie Jenner, our three anchors, and over 200 billion TikTok views have in common? Makeup. Influencers, inflation, and looking good with CEO of cosmetic retailer Ulta, Dave Kimball. The role that social media and influencers have played has really transformed the industry. It is a great time, and it has been over the last several years, to launch brands. Plus, some maquillage trivia. According to Money Magazine, how much does the average woman spend on makeup in a lifetime? The answer, we come right back. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Listening to Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, and Becky Quick, tackling today's Aflac trivia question. According to Money Magazine, how much does the average woman spend on makeup in a lifetime? You ready for the answer? $15,000 in a lifetime. What do you think? Joe, I uh, might, I don't know, no, I don't know how much the makeup that no. we use costs. I, I how was much insulted. does the, money, the makeup that we use cost? I was insulted. Did it, 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 yeah. How much does a person spend on makeup in a lifetime? What I, th- I thought would have been a better question. We know that, Sorkin. Don't pretend that we don't. Because uh, that budget includes I want to know what my lifetime makeup spend is. I don't know. It's, it's high. It's high. And, and then More than it, that number, I bet. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's worth it. Uh, believe me. But for all of us. 
makeup is one thing that other consumers seem to deem worth it too, despite rising inflation. Last quarter, Walmart noticed that rising costs hit purchases for essentials, with shoppers opting for a half gallon of milk instead of a full gallon. And yet, cosmetics seem to be doing okay. Honestly, better than okay. While shares of retailers across the board are down for 2022, I'm talking Target, Walmart, Macy's, LVMH, Williams-Sonoma, Gap, Elf Cosmetics, the list goes on. Ulta is up. The others have been hit by inflation, supply chain issues, and inventory missteps. In fact, if you want to hear more about how Target miscalculated consumer tastes and is now prepping for a hit to its bottom line, you can check out yesterday's podcast on your feed. But for now, we're zeroing in on makeup. What's Ulta's magic palette? Despite rising costs for consumers from the gas pump all the way to the shopping cart, the cosmetic retailer has seen same-store sales growth and revenue that's up 21% year-over-year. Elf Cosmetics, while it is down for the year, also posted promising financial results this past quarter. A ring light, if you will, for beauty retailers. Ulta CEO Dave Kimball, who's exactly a year on the job this week, joined our Joe, Becky, and Andrew this morning. Here's Becky. Dave, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. This has been a pretty unbelievable story. I mean, I looked back at the stock. If you go back to the pre-pandemic lows, March 20th of 2020, I think the stock was at $148 that day. Now it's at $419. This has not been one of those, okay, the stock goes up, it comes down, it goes all over the place. This has been a, a pretty steady March higher because consumers were wearing a lot more makeup for their eyes and their lashes when they were going over the masks during the pandemic, and now they want even more that they're coming back out. We are really excited and proud of the results that we've been delivering. And it has been a wild and turbulent time, of course, for everybody over the last couple of years. Uh, but I really see four things that have come together for our business that allowed us to continue to drive the results we have. First, we are in a great category. You talked about the, the role that it plays and in, in how you express yourself to the world. And, and, and certainly as the world's opening up, that's becoming even more important. Category is emotional, it's connected, and increasingly beauty enthusiasts are recognizing the importance that beauty plays in overall self-care and wellness. So the category is healthy and, and we think well positioned for growth. Our business model is proven. We're the only ones that do what, what Ulta Beauty does. The combination of our unique assortment, we're the only ones that bring price points from mass to prestige across makeup and hair care and skin care and, and fragrance and, and wellness. Uh, so and that's what our guests really like. It's what we were created to do, is deliver an assortment that allows them to personalize what they're what they're doing. Let me ask you on that point, mass to prestige, what's more in demand right now? Are people trading up, are they trading down? What's happening? Well, what's great about a beauty enthusiast, and it's really part of the reason Ulta Beauty was created, was to give an experience where you can shop across price points. Most beauty enthusiasts don't just buy prestige or buy mass. They, they curate a, a personalized assortment that makes the most sense for them. What we're seeing right now in our business is strength across the assortment, across all categories. Uh, uh, first quarter was the first quarter uh, during the pandemic that makeup comp positively versus 2019. So we're seeing strength in makeup. Actually, prestige was ahead of mass, but mass was still healthy. Uh, and then each category delivered double-digit growth for the quarter. So really, it's broad-based strength, not just makeup, not just hair care, but the whole, the, all parts of our business coming together. David, the, the, uh, what's the future look like for, for both beauty and hair? And I, I was kidding you, you know, I don't need makeup, I need a scalpel. Or I mean, there are things like fillers, uh, Restylane. There are things like... Botox, there's things like I take something, Propecia, that, that, that grows hair. 
don't you need to go with the the innovation in the future? Can you get into that that type of stuff to, for someone that really needs help, other than just uh, right. you know, than than just uh, makeup? Well, you look pretty good, Joe. Thank and, you. Yeah, but that's what, what I, I was fishing for. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> what I, what I would say though is, you know, what's exciting to us about the category is it is so deeply personal. Beauty is not about the superficial. What we find, we talk to consumers all the time, do a lot of research. What we see is beauty is really about self-expression. It's about how individuals choose to bring themselves to the world around them. So. Within that, inherent in that, is much greater than just a transactional relationship. It's an emotional relationship. And what we saw over the pandemic, uh, two-thirds, about 67% of beauty enthusiasts in our research now link beauty to overall self-care and wellness, more than they did in the past. And what that means is how I feel about how I'm taking care of myself, how I look, how I express myself to the world, uh, is every bit as important as any other part of your wellness journey. So what that tells us about the future is uh, it, the, the strength of the category will continue. There will be innovation. There will be new ways. There always have been through the history of, of beauty and people expressing themselves to the world. Uh, Ulta has continued to evolve. That's why we, you know, we have services in our stores. We continue to evolve our assortment. We've added and expanded our wellness section. So there's continuing innovation, which gives us a lot of confidence in the category as we look going forward. Hey, Dave, can you talk about what might be described as the influencer economy and the economics of that? So much of your business now is driven by folks seeing influencers and others who either have their own makeup lines or things, doing things on TikTok and the like, and why certain certain people and certain brands work in an Ulta world, may work in a Sephora world. I'm thinking, by the way, Lady Gaga, you know, had, had launched a product on Amazon three years ago, gave up on it uh, just recently. They've moved that to Sephora. Why, why that wouldn't work, but for example, uh, you know, stuff, st some of the stuff that uh, Kylie Jenner and others are doing is working. Well, Andrew, yeah, it's a great, great point. I've been with Ulta Beauty a little over eight years, and I've seen the, the transformation of how brands are built in really probably across all categories, but obviously I'm paying most attention to beauty. And the role that uh, it, that social media and influencers has played has, has, has really transformed the industry. It is a great time, and it has been over the last several years, to launch, uh, launch brands, both big, uh, big influencers like Lady Gaga or Kylie, Kylie Jenner. We've been proud to have a, uh, an exclusive partnership with Kylie for a few years now, and that business is very strong and healthy. But also, uh, you know, individual makeup artists that are, that, are, that are connecting online, in TikTok, in Instagram, in YouTube, and building, building strong, uh, strong business from the ground up. Uh, and that's really exciting. Uh, beauty is a very entrepreneurial place, uh, how particularly- much, How much, David, Dave, how much of your marketing budget, though, these days, is devoted towards that, is, is devoted towards commissions, affiliate fees, and other things towards those influencer, that influencer community versus what might be described as more traditional media? Oh, yeah. It's, we don't actually spend a whole lot on, uh, you know, spending directly to influencers. What we do is just tell our story across all channels. Social media is certainly a big part of how we bring our uh, story to life. What's important, though, and what's, what, what we think is exciting, goes back to the role that, that uh, we see with beauty enthusiasts. They love beauty. They love being involved in For the category. For Kylie, I mean, you're, you're paying her directly. She does her own social, social influencing things, right? She builds her brand like any other brand. Payment to her. That's it, it's like making sure you're advertising through that too. 
Well, I we, mean, that, we not work, traditional advertising. That's but right. That's, that's what she brings to the table in the she, partnership too. Right, right, and she's building that brand like uh, like every other brand founder and brand creator and any other brand. But she, yeah, she of course brings a unique and powerful voice into it. That's a big part of her success. Target obviously has struggled with the inventory in a lot of areas that they just had too much of it. Beauty was not one of those cases. Beauty has done very well. You have the store within a store partnership with Target. How, how important has that been over the last couple of years? Well, we just started it last year. So we're maybe nine months into the relationship. We've got about 140 locations. We're growing, we're adding more this year. We're really, really uh, excited about the partnership. Target is uh, an exceptional partner and a great retailer. and. Uh, and, and our opportunity there is to continue to introduce Ulta Beauty to the millions of, of guests that walk through their doors. It's also a great chance for our brand partners to introduce their brands. It's a prestige-focused experience, uh, and our brands have been really pleased with it. So, Is it different customers that are shopping at Target versus in the Ulta stores themselves? Uh, there are there there is overlap, but but part of the uh, uh, and, and so we see it as two two key parts of the opportunity. One is to uh, acquire new guests, people that have never shopped at Ulta. But equally as important, our existing guests. What we found again and again is if we find ways to uh, excite our guests and give them uh, easier ways to engage in Ulta, whether it's you know if their store shop or going online or downloading our app or using our salon or any other touch point we have, we get greater loyalty and greater share of wallet. And 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 we see Target as the next big. Our partnership with Target is the next big step in in delivering for our guests. There are so many questions about the consumer. Obviously, to this point, the consumer is still really willing to spend on beauty items, things that make them feel good. If we get into a recession, if inflation continues to climb and people have to spend on non-discretionary items instead of things they want to buy, if, if they're putting more money in their gas tank and it eats into how much they have to spend on these things, wh what's your plan? How do, you, how do you handle that? How do you deal with it? Well, we're certainly watching it very closely and we know how uh, you know, the outlook is, uh, is, is concerning in many ways, a really disrupted time. What, what I, what we, as we look back over time, and we've never, of course, been in, in a moment like we're in right now, but we look back over time as beauty is resilient, and it goes back because of the importance it plays in consumers' lives. And I, I don't, uh, I, I, you know, we don't think of it purely as a discretionary item because it's so important to how people, particularly beauty enthusiasts, lives their lives and shows up in the world around them. Uh, so we're, what we deliver, though, uniquely is this all price points. Uh, as people adjust, as we look at previous um, disruptions and challenges in the economy, if there's disruption or, or trade down, we can deliver that within the ultimate. Are the margins experience. tighter for, for what you're dealing no, with? No, our margins are healthy really across, across, the, the across our portfolio. I'm just so, wondering if you don't buy the Grande Lash and you just go with extra mascara, what does that mean? Because it's 60 bucks versus five. Right, right. So certainly there's some impact on, on total uh, total spend with us, but the margins are healthy and keeping them with the Ulta Beauty family is unique. We're the only ones that can do that. And, uh, and so we feel confident that we'll be able to weather whatever's ahead of us. We're, and we're very confident in the future of Ulta Beauty and how our model is positioned to uh, adapt. Dave, congratulations on the first year and thanks for being here today. Thank you very much. Great to see you. Dave Kimball. Cheese will be next. Coming up on Squawk Pod, have streamers hit a ceiling? AMC CEO Matt Blank on betting on his linear media. What we're really doing now is staying the course while the rest of the world is a bit off course. We're a very different business. Uh, it's amazing how fast everybody's run away from Netflix. We'll be right back. Summer, the best time of year, usually doesn't come with a great deal. 
Soaring temperatures come with soaring prices. But what if there's another way? With IKEA, your summer plans can last longer than two weeks of vacation and be more affordable. Here, everyone can have lounge chair access, no reservations needed. From affordable outdoor furniture to stylish accessories, we have all the essentials you need to soak up summer in style, no matter the size of your space. Start planning a better summer with IKEA. It's your outdoor dreams inside your budget. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Here's Andrew Ross Sorkin. This has been a tough year uh, for media stocks with Netflix, Warner Brothers, Discovery and Disney all down at least 25 percent in the year to date. To enter the summer season, our next guest says the safer option might still be linear. Joining us right now is Matt Blank, AMC Network's interim CEO. Matt, it's great to see you. The world might have come to you, Matt. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people were trying to chase Netflix for a very long time. And uh, boy, does the pendulum seem to be swinging the other way. Has it has it effectively swung the other way or do you think ultimately we're going to find some middle ground here? You know, look, Andrew, first, thanks for having me. I think I think there's going to be a lot of middle ground out there. You know, our, our challenges, uh, you know, in recent days has been that we're we're painted with the same brush as everybody else. And we're very different. We have a very strong linear business. That's a business that is important to us in terms of creating new programming, exploiting new programming, uh, great relationships with advertisers. It's a great promotional platform. We still work closely with our uh, linear distributors. Uh, your own company just announced a big venture with Charter in terms of doing some things in connected TVs uh, and in the digital space. So there's a lot of opportunity there for us. Streaming is very important to us, very important to us. Well, but, but what, we're is, not like what is your sense guys. But what is your sense of the transformation of this space, which is to say that, you know, three months ago, everybody wanted to be Netflix. Everybody wanted to be a subscription only business. Now everybody's saying, well, maybe that actually doesn't work. And those who whispered about it for years and years and years are now saying, I, I was right. I was right. Well, you know, look, this conversation was inevitable. I, I said this on your network three years ago, Andrew. Uh, I think the, the belief that there was unlimited growth in these spaces it was just unrealistic. These are businesses. They're businesses. They're like other subscriber and membership businesses in a lot of ways. We've always known that. We carefully curate our networks. We watch our pricing. On, on content in, in the streaming place. Uh, we think we have real opportunities in terms of subscriber life, acquisition cost in the streaming space. We're a very different business. Uh, it's amazing how fast everybody's run away from Netflix. It is still probably the most amazing story in the history of the business. As you see those folks maybe decide to focus on advertising for the first time, how does that change the dynamic more broadly for folks like yourself? And also in terms of spending, I mean, competition for content has been so difficult in part because you could argue folks like Netflix, and I think they would admit now we're overspending. 
How, how does that change things for, for an AMC? Well, I, I think it, it allows us to keep promoting what we've been doing all along. We have been very aggressive with our story that we don't spend crazy amounts of money on content. And particularly operating in the targeted space, there's even more opportunity for us to create content at a reasonable price that's going to be very attractive to our super fan bases. And, and that hasn't changed. What we're really doing now is staying the course while the rest of the world is a bit off course, I think. And this will settle out. I mean, a lot of what we're saying as a result of the fact that, uh, you know, re- COVID took, you know, an organized transition to a direct-to-consumer businesses off the table. Everything moved so fast. And that was great for a lot of the big streamers. So now what's happened is uh, the universe is reaching maturity a little bit faster, but that still creates a lot of opportunity for us. Do you? How does it change the direct-to-consumer um, idea versus being an arms dealer, selling that content Back to the Netflixes, which which was a very profitable business for a lot of people for a very long time. Then they decided, well, maybe I'm hurting myself by doing that. Does does that dynamic shift? Well, if if you believe that Netflix is going to have to control content costs, you know, maybe being an arms dealer right now is not as great as it was a year ago or two years ago or three years ago. Uh, The businesses are going to change, but streaming is important. It's important to us. Our business is transitioning to streaming, but we have a great, great uh, linear business uh, you know, we're in the middle of the upfronts right now. We are very optimistic about that environment. Uh, we are very aggressive in the advanced advertising space. 40% of our original programming will, will be available for advanced advertising applications and some of the things we do with Amazon. So uh, this is a multifaceted business. We feel we're pretty well positioned because, because of our efforts in all of these uh, sectors, including, you know, the fast TV networks, which we're creating. And uh, we just see a tremendous opportunity in the curated businesses. And that's something that's gone away. Nobody's talking about curation anymore. And, you know, so I think this is a settling out that is going to be good for those of us who have strong base businesses. And, uh, you know, AMC Networks is very strong in that area. Matt, we got to leave the conversation there. Uh, We very much appreciate seeing you. We hope to have you back very, very soon. That's the podcast for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, follow Squawk Pod wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. 